0: Welcome to No Prize From God, episode 41. No Prize From God features conversations with creative people about belief, unbelief, and everything between. I'm your host, Ryan J. Downey, and my guest this episode is Carl Sanders, founding member, vocalist, and guitarist of Nile. This is a super fun, cool, free-flowing conversation where we talk about The origins of Carl's fascination with ancient Egypt, the Sumerians, Mesopotamia. We talk about his meditative and transcendental solo work. We talk about several of the books and ideas that shaped him and get into a bunch of sci-fi. H.P. Lovecraft, Frank Herbert, some of his recommended starting points for the different themes and ideas explored throughout his impressive catalog over the years. Really, really loved this conversation and hope to have him back in the not-too-distant future. You can keep up with the podcast at noprizefromgod.com. Find all the socials there. You can keep up with me at ryanjdowney.com. And remember, the best way to support the podcast is to go into Apple Podcasts or Spotify, whatever your preferred podcasting platform is. Write a nice review. Leave a five-star rating. Those really do help in terms of visibility and making people aware of what we're doing here. I know I say this all the time, but I really am committed to, (laughs) at least spiritually, which seems on brand with this podcast, getting these out more consistently, more often. I really am in love with this podcast in particular. And I think there are so many great conversations to go back and listen to. If you are hearing this episode, maybe it's the first one you've ever checked out. I definitely recommend diving into the catalog. That's one of the things I really appreciate about this format and something I've tried to do with the conversations I'm having here and with Speaking Destroy, my Metallica-centered podcast, and Pop Curse, where musicians talk about movies, is I'm really trying to have conversations that are evergreen, that uh, aren't necessarily tied to a particular album release or tour or film or, or whatever it is that the guest is working on But more just, you know, things that will resonate and have some relevance long-term. I think this is one of those conversations, and I hope you will enjoy it and agree. So here it is, my conversation with Carl Sanders of Nile. This is No Prize from God. a band or, or making a movie you know make the thing that you wish existed and i would scroll through the podcast uh you know apple podcast looking in the religion and spirituality category and everything was either you know a mainline christian evangelical a new agey self-help thing or like the militant you know uh your sam harris's and you know the super atheist stuff And I would just kind of look at it and go, well, where's everything else, you know? And particularly being Mm -hmm. someone who's been involved in music for a long time, I've encountered and interviewed and, and collaborated with so many people over the years who have such interesting takes on life's big questions, you know, and, you know, being in the heavy music world, obviously there's all sorts of different ends of the spectrum. (laughs) So one thing that I've avoided, there's plenty of other places for this. But, I, but I've but i avoided anyone who's going to be just a spokesperson for something. You know, <laughs> like, I'm not interested in having someone from the Church of Latter-day Saints explain to me all the tenets of Mormonism. Now, if there was somebody, you know, if Brendan from Panic! at the Disco, who was raised Mormon, wants to come on and talk about his experience and, and all of that, I would love to do that. But, you know, right, having right, this sort I of like...
1: That. That's a profound difference right there.
0: Right. When you have somebody just giving you the bullet points and that, and that goes across the board, whether it's, you know, Church of Satan or take your pick. I just find it rather boring if someone's going to just sort of throw talking points around, because to me, it's just more of a conversation. So,
1: Don't we get enough of that already? You yes.
0: Know? I'm very fascinated to speak with you as someone who's followed down for a long time. And this is this will. This will put us in the time machine, but the first person to turn me on to denial was Gordon Conrad.
1: I love Gordon Conrad. (laughs) What a a fabulous individual.
0: Uh, So I'm endlessly fascinated, not just on the wealth of knowledge and interest that you have in different traditions and historical things, but also where that came from and how that began. So if you could take me all the way back to young Carl Sanders and, uh, kind of what you grew up around, what, you know, your parents were church going or, or what, you know, just sort of what your first introductions were to the larger ideas of life and death and what it all means and, and then where your own interests got peaked. In well, at. um,
1: my mom was religious and my father wasn't, um, my dad, loved to read. He had an incredible library. Um, He was also a movie buff, right? So his ideas about things were completely different than my mom's ideas. Um, uh, Because my mom, uh, you know, her idea of religion was uh, very strict, right? Well, my dad's ideas, About the nature of the universe, you know, more in line with Frank Herbert um, and Dune yeah. than, you know, my mom's ideas of Christianity. So, you know, my, that's that's where things started leaning. You know, my dad had this bigger idea of, you know, replacing the universe and it had nothing to do with whatever they taught you in Sunday school. Um, that was always more interesting to me was much bigger picture and I still kind of feel like that today you know I think a lot of the religion the options that we have available to us are, are very I don't know they're restrictive by nature. Science fiction is it's much more possible to find an interesting path because well or any any of the things we choose to believe in, actually anything that we can say this is hard past science yes this is true yes this is not true Uh, so if we're already in the realm of fantasy let's go big (laughs)
0: let's make it more fun (laughs) yeah
1: Uh, which which is you know kind of how i gravitated you know to the egyptians the sumerians because you know what when those guys did religion they imagine big. <laughs> they didn't have just one God. They had a thousand. Right? And if you got a thousand gods in your society, then you know what? You're probably pretty accepting and <laughs> live and let live. You want to worship this guy in this town? That's okay. We'll go to this next town. They got another patron God. You know, okay.
0: Yeah. do you remember what your first exposure was to the sumerian stuff the egyptian side how you, how you first got interested in reading about it and
1: uh, well my dad would watch all these big epic flicks you know ben-hur ten commandments land of the pharaohs sodom and gomorrah anything you know that had to do with history my dad would watch it and re-watch it so That was kind of it. That that was the basis of a lot of things, like how I, like, looked at music, like, you know, because there's always incredible soundtracks to all these big epic films. So, you know, that's kind of where I'm coming to music from, you know, telling that big epic story.
0: Yeah, Niall definitely has a, a cinematic quality to it. That mm-hmm. takes you on a journey and, and is immersive in the way that a film score would be.
1: I love that immersive journey. Um, the the Saurian albums do that in another way. They do it in a in a quieter way, <laughs> uh, but it's very similar. It's still very you know cinematic. You put it on, you can close your eyes, and your mind will let you journey to vistas unimagined
0: and in a lot of ways those journeys that music can take us on is what a lot of these faith traditions are trying to do you know whether it's through hallucinogenics whether it's through deep meditation prayer Mm -hmm. you know different rituals whatever a lot of that is to sort of escape the physical and get into some kind of metaphysical mental spiritual a different place
1: um, some day. people have said that uh, the Saurian albums uh, require no life-ruining hallucinogenics or affiliations with, you know, astral cults, you know, uh, there, was, there was a comet thing uh, a few years back um, where a bunch of people took uh, vodka, phenobarbital. barbital, they believed that there was a spaceship in the trail of this comet that was uh this was like 1991 93. This
0: the so. heaven's gate people
1: yes yeah, heaven's gate thank
0: With you nikes yeah
1: <laughs> right yeah. Sony albums let you do all this stuff without requiring
0: <laughs> yeah without the, without the suicide part <laughs> exactly
1: yeah <laughs> it's safer
0: Yes, certainly safer. I mean, and that goes for, I have sort of a philosophical view on extreme music and culture in general, where for all of the fingers that get point, you know, think back to the PMRC days where it's like, this is going to do, this is going to cause this to happen. My argument was always, no, this is preventing that from happening. (laughs) Like I get to go listen to Slayer instead of like, you know, attack a classmate. (laughs) This is, this is good. You should be glad that it it's here.
1: You we know. have to have healthy outlets for natural aggression because if you don't let it out, it will come out in some way that's potentially not helpful to human society. Um, just the nature of having society means that you know people have to curb their natural violence. Urges and tendencies. You got to have that under control. So, you know, traditional sports and stuff, you know, that's one way people do it. You know, but what if you're not a sports guy? Mm -hmm. I'm lucky, you know, I did martial arts for many years. So I got a lot of my angst out doing that and playing death metal. So I was a chill motherfucker for a good number of years because all my aggression has been gotten out in a healthy way.
0: That's something people outside of the circle don't quite understand is that you know people who are whether they're making splatter films or they're making death metal records or they're going into a gym or a dojo and and sparring for a few hours at a time those tend to be the most chill people because Mm -hmm. they have an outlet like you were saying for all of that pent-up aggression that tends to make people jackasses (laughs) you know
1: right Right, look at the amount of road rage that you see, like in you know the L.A. Metro area, mm-hmm. right? These um, people have it bottled up so long. Uh, you know, they're commuting a good many hours of their day. Yeah. Right. If you're spending two hours commuting every day, that's time most people get to do something, anything. But instead, you're spending it bottled up in traffic just trying to get to work and trying to get home trying not to become michael douglas and falling down (laughs) i think that's one of the best movies ever right i quote it all the time uh yeah i love that movie
0: yeah it's great his performance in it is great and the very sort of iconic archetypal even just the way he's dressed and yeah there's a lot to that for sure uh so i want to get into like you know, so you're seeing these films, um, with your dad and you're, you're getting interested in historical stuff. And was there a historical fiction angle for the, for you as well? And, and, you know, I mean, I, obviously I think about stuff like Tolkien or, uh, you know, Absolutely. Or, you know, and uh, Frank Herbert, like you mentioned, uh, those things deal a lot with philosophy and, and with history, but through a lens of mm-hmm. fantasy. Was that kind of Absolutely.
1: My my dad had all these books in his library, and the, these were not only some of his favorites, but because he loved them so much, I picked them too. Uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs was another one that mm. I ended up reading a lot. Lovecraft, um, Robert Howard. Um, uh, the, he wrote had another character besides Conan the Barbarian. It was called Cole the Conqueror. And a lot of the mythos in that, you know, Cross had a nexus point with Lovecraft mm. world that he built. But also, there's this wacky guy, I don't know if you ever heard of him, his name is David Icke. He's got this reptilian conspiracy theory. It's quite preposterous, but it's in this Robert Howard series. Talking about the exact same thing, you know, these lizards are in the guise of men, uh, affecting the course of human history, Um, and I went, why, you know, this this has a resonance. It's completely preposterous, utterly ridiculous. Anybody who actually believes it, you know, is probably wackadoodle, but pretty cool science fiction.
0: Yeah, and and science fiction works so fantastically as allegory. I mean, obviously, you know, one of the more famous examples being the original Star Trek. But Mm -hmm. I also think when it comes to reptilian people, V, which was one of my favorite properties, the V miniseries back in the day. I remember it. And it was, yeah, and that was very much a story about World War II, but told through, uh, you know, instead of Jews, it was scientists and instead of Nazis, it was lizard people. Uh, But I mean, even right down to the visitor's symbol looked a lot like a swastika. Uh, You know, there's just something that resonates, like you said, with uh, the theatricality of telling stories like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me as a little kid in Indiana, watching that on TV was endlessly more fascinating than watching (laughs) a documentary about World War II. (laughs) And right. yeah, not I was, that I don't kind of love about
1: World it, War II documentaries. Sure. I do. I yeah, I, I find it entirely fascinating that we as a a human species could do this to other members of our exact same species. This it's, it's appalling. If you stop and think about it, how do people do that to one another? Hmm. Not cool. Not cool.
0: And i would imagine as you were dipping into ancient samaria and and egypt and a lot of of the things that thematically you've dealt with in your art there's uh no shortage of brutality in those cultures
1: well said my friend um there's a quote by paul m cooper who does a fabulous podcast called follow civilizations he said There is no history of human civilization that is not also simultaneously a record of human barbarism.
0: Wow. Uh, Very astute. Very true. And each culture tends to have their end of the world myth, their apocalypse myth. And on the one hand, you could probably approach it from a purely scientific view and say, well, you know, the world hasn't ended yet. But I would say, allegorically, metaphorically, a lot of those civilizations that predicted an end times were accurate when it came to their own civilization, you know?
1: Yes, exactly. Uh, human beings seem to keep repeating these same patterns. You. Know, you they rise, they work hard and they destroy themselves one way or another, whether from the inside or from the outside, it seems to be a pattern.
0: So, so getting into a lot of those authors you mentioned, um, obviously each of them, is, there's been different adaptations of their work in film and TV and comics and other medium. Uh, have How much of that stuff have you, checked out or been into or liked or didn't like i mean i actually saw the david lynch dune before i ever read dune (laughs) which started reading it and was like oh okay this makes a little bit more sense than that movie i watched right Uh, but it it does have its charms
1: you know um my dad you know his he had so many books and they were just there and i was kind of an outcast kid i played guitar you know that's that's what I did but also learned to read so many so many things are available to you uh my dad said many times the knowledge of the world is contained in books All right that was before the internet and now everything that was in books pretty much is on the internet somewhere but there's a permanence to a book right it's not just existing in the cloud it's real it's tangible it's concrete you can take it with you and you know what if something happens to you that book will still exist for someone else to read it
0: yeah i'm thinking also about the uh the failed attempt to make a john carter franchise
1: dude i know right i love that movie so much yeah um yeah and what a fail well glorious fail a glorious fail! one
0: of the most glorious fail yeah i yeah i actually had the opportunity to cover that film when it was coming out i did the press junket for it and they had they had all the cast out to a resort in arizona because of its mars-like look (laughs) um yeah you would you would have never guessed spending a weekend talking to all of them that it was going to turn out the way that it did it really there really was every intention for that to really launch all of those stories and mm-hmm. something i got fascinated with in more recent years have you seen the documentary called yodawarski's dune i have not it's i have never
1: even heard about it what is it
0: it's pretty incredible so i'm probably gonna butcher his name i'll come back in post-production and
1: <laughs> that's, <Alejandro>, cheating. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that's cheating uh no i'm kidding uh alessandro yodawarski i think it's pronounced but he's like a surrealist filmmaker spiritualist um just one of those sort of crazy geniuses and he it's a pretty amazing story but he had the rights at one point to make a dune film and there's just all this craziness attached to uh, and millions of dollars spent without a frame being shot and uh, he had convinced salvador Dali to play a, a character in it uh he had made a deal with orson wells where uh, orson wells didn't want to come to europe to film because he didn't want to he had his favorite restaurant that he liked going to every day so they like built the restaurant in france or wherever <laughs> I mean, just all these crazy stories, but, uh, and it never actually happened, but a bunch of things broke apart from it. Um, Some of the concept art uh, was done by a guy named H.R. Geiger. Uh, Some of the uh, work in pre-production was done by uh, the team that, that ended up writing Alien and bringing Geiger over there. A bunch wow. of the stuff that he had worked on was an influence on George Lucas. There's a lot of things they show in the documentary where they're like, you like this from Star Wars? Look at this concept drawing from Yodowarski's know, Dune. And hmm. a lot of uh, influence that this unmade adaptation had. So, I def- yeah, I'll, I'll send you a link to it. It's, uh, I def- yeah, I'd, I'd love to know more about it. It's, it's super fun. And he had all these crazy ideas about how to do it. And it, and it really is a, a very, it's such a sprawling unwieldy kind of story it, it's difficult to imagine any adaptation really nailing it you know it's like they're all going to be more approximations than
1: right i mean how do you possibly possibly do the book justice
0: Yeah. You know, so yeah that's one great thing about records is they're you know, it's it's still leaving a lot up to the imagination. It's like a horror film where you don't see the monster so much, you know.
1: Uh, which I think is twice as scary. Um, sure. Like you know, Lovecraft said, the earliest fear is the fear of the unknown, right? Without having any visuals whatsoever, um, it's twice as scary because your your brain is free to imagine whatever whatever it's got in there lurking around to work with that's what it'll use Uh, one of the things that happened when i started touring in tour buses and especially touring in europe where occasionally you have to go through the alps at night when you're lying in your tour bunk you don't have a window so you're just laying there right and when the driver hits the rumble strip, you can imagine, right, okay, we just rolled over the rumble strip, but we were only there for a second, so okay, I can go back to sleep. Right? But like when you're in the Alps and you hear the rumble strip and you feel the rumble strip from within your bunk, now your mind starts imagining going off the edge and plummeting a thousand feet to your death um and it's a study on the power of the mind mm. and once you take away the visuals you just got audio your
0: brain is free to go wherever and you're already like in that
1: radio shows dark like radio windowless
0: shows. coffin in your bunk <laughs> so there's already that yeah radio shows like you said yeah that's um how much can be done with just uh, voice performances and and music. Mm-hmm. The fact that people were able to imagine Martians were really invading because of what they heard on the radio.
1: Wow. That says a lot right there. Yeah. That says a lot.
0: There was no CGI for that. It was all just sound.
1: It's incredible art. Lots of possibilities. I, I love making
0: music. Yeah. So as you, Form this idea of you know how of exploring these different themes uh with a band what were some of your guideposts early on in terms of uh you know books that you went to or people that you talked to or things that you studied you know what were some of the, the i guess the early foundations of what nile eventually became
1: well uh practically everything Lovecraft ever wrote, Hmm. um, (laughs) probably the Um, most metal
0: um, fantasy writer ever.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's like he, he, he wrote the songs already. All you got to do
0: is
1: (laughs) carefully transpose it from the written medium to the, uh, sound medium. And there you go. Um, and the, the less you fuck with it, the better it turns out. Right. Right like there's a an urge we all have to not be plagiaristic, right? But Lovecraft is so perfectly well distilled into the power of words already, that it's like this is this plagiarism or is it a profanity to undo the beauty of the work he already did, capturing these ideas mm-hmm. into words? So, yeah, very influential. You know, as as now started going. Also, uh, the Book of the Dead, mm. um, Serpent in the Sky, uh, uh, which is about the the work of Schwaller de Lubitz. Um,
0: yeah, I'm not I'm not familiar with that one at all.
1: Ooh, uh, really good stuff. Um, uh, deals with you know, the philosophy ancient egyptian stuff but the science that underlies it in the connection between science and spirituality um mind-boggling stuff so many now songs have could trace their origins back to that book
0: yeah. you remember how you first discovered that book
1: a friend gave it to me I, I, I had this friend and he shows up in the weirdest places now um, I've known him like 35 40 years his name is Stephen King and it's Stephen M King but he's not the Stephen King no, right. Right? he's a Stephen King but he's just as much character he's he's into quantum physics and chaos theory just for fun. <laughs> this is his idea of fun right so he's always bursting you know every time i see him with all these ideas and i'm rubbing my temples because just to think about those conversations they were usually one-sided conversations right where he's you know dissertations dissertations, (laughs) right um because i guess i was a captive audience um Uh, Yeah, and and like he's also a metal guy. So like there's this place where all that stuff meets, and that's in Stephen's mind. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, he gave me this book, and and I got to admit, he was absolutely right. Uh, This was exactly the kind of thing that I was looking for in early novel, because I wanted to do a good job of it we had the name nile before we had the concept of what to do with it and we didn't even think of it um a girlfriend of mine had suggested the name to us right she says well you guys like playing all that middle eastern stuff why don't you call yourselves nile and we went hmm four letters Lots of potential with the concept. Could probably even make a logo that's easy to read. So, okay, why not? Well, after like six months, I had an epiphany where one morning I got up and was in the bathroom, looking in the mirror, brushing my teeth, shave my face, looking in the mirror, and I thought to myself, you know, if I were a listener, I heard a band called Nile. What would I want to hear from a band called Nile? And I went, Well, that's a big concept. Big, big concept. Like, you know, Tolkien big, right? That big. Like uh, you got a whole world to, you know, invent and exploit. And because it's four thousand years ago, there's not only a wealth of material to work with, but there's also enough room to take artistic license all day long. And who's going to argue with you? Anybody that might argue has been dead for 4,000 years. So, okay, all right, here we go. What could we do?
0: That's great. And there, Yeah, there is a lot of room there that's left unexplored. And when you think about the iconography of, you know, Christopher Lee is the mummy and the, the hammer horror mummy, or, I mean, you know, the, the little just touches of it we've gotten in pop culture, there's still so much more beneath the so surface. So much more. Yeah. literally and figuratively. There's so much, so much more buried, so much lore and, and yeah, and so much world building to do. Uh, what would you suggest uh, for someone who's a casual has a casual interest in that stuff and wants to go deeper. What are some directions you would point someone in? I mean, I'm sure it probably happens to you with fans all the time where they're like, I love all this Egyptian stuff. Like, what do Mm -hmm. I do? How do I find out more?
1: Well, you know, there's so many different angles to approach it. You know, are you looking for mythology? Are you looking for history? Are you looking for archaeology? You know, political studies. There's so many angles to approach it from. Most people start, they just pick up a copy of the Book of the Dead and go, Mm -hmm. okay, here we go. But that usually kills people right there, you know, because it's um, a lot of mysticism that's inexplicable, that, like, what the fuck does this mean? (laughs) (laughs) Right? So, you know, I'd say for someone who, who wants to get, you dig a little bit in and be entertained. Go to YouTube. Just type in ancient Egypt. And have at it. There'll be a thousand entertaining, high-quality productions at your fingertips, which wasn't the case before the age of the Internet. When when I started Nile, there was no Internet. <laughs> so every everything that I did... You know, was going down to my community college, which had uh, T1 access to all the other universities where you could read all kinds of stuff about anything, whatever it was. So that's what I did. And I would print out stacks and stacks of paper every day. They'd see me coming. They'd go, you know, you really should bring your own paper, young man. <laughs> Uh yeah stacks and stacks uh, it was just ridiculous and I take it all home and try to figure out what it all meant
0: yeah there was a great essay from the comedian Patton Oswald in Wired magazine probably 10 or 15 years ago but he was talking about how you know for those of us like generation x and once upon a time for someone to be an expert in anything you know if you knew somebody in the late 80s or early 90s who knew everything about Blade Runner that was because they sat in a coffee shop you know talking to other people who loved Blade Runner and trading information and anecdotes and they maybe mailed away for a fanzine from Japan or they did you know really immerse themselves in this whereas now if someone wants to know about Blade Runner they can go on Wikipedia and read all the major story beats and maybe watch a YouTube video that shows you the climax and then suddenly they know all this stuff that would have been like very difficult to get a hold of previously and there and there's some there's a a blessing and a curse there because there's obvious advantages to having so much information immediately accessible to us but there's surely something lost when it doesn't require the kind of study and effort and experiential you know lifestyle (laughs) thing that it used to
1: think it's the valuation you know hmm. that which we obtain cheaply has little value hmm. um information which should be the most valuable thing that we have as a, the human race has become devalued now disinformation is more important than actual information all across the spectrum it, don't, it doesn't matter which political side of the aisle you're walking on there's mountains of disinformation everywhere wow if
0: that's not
1: a weapon i don't know what is
0: and it's disinformation that yeah as you said it's weaponized and it's uh confirmation bias and it's it's Voluntary in a lot of instances, you know, because we pick our side <laughs> I know, I right? Know go into yeah. Tell me the thing that lines up with what I already think. Yep, sounds good. You know. Oh
1: yeah, 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 yeah. We could talk on that all day. Um, the poison that we're all ingesting.
0: What does what do the ancient Egyptians or the Sumerians have to teach us about this current cultural moment? what would they make of all this
1: these would be chaos times Hmm. right um the egyptians the ancient egyptians were all about the order of the cosmos and preserving the order of the cosmos there's the way things were done and that's the way you did them and that's what kept things going sustainably you know as a civilization it's got a, a run of a couple thousand years Why? Because, you know, new ideas challenging the old order were not tolerated. Um, Some of the great disastrous periods in Egyptian history, like uh, Akhenaten, the heretic king, is when he brought in new ideas. Ooh, bad. Um, So when I think of that, I think, wait a minute, wait a minute, you know, Is that the way we should live? Well, no. Shouldn't we be open to new ideas? Isn't human progress and going forward, you know, because we're open to, you know, new science, new technology, new ways of thinking about things, right? Shouldn't that be the way forward? But the ancient Egyptians, that's when they fucked up. That's when they went astray so can humans beings be trusted with knowing stuff and understanding stuff because it seems like we understand a little bit and then like children everything up
0: it's almost a parallel there with the garden of eden story oh wow dude you're so right you know yeah Everything, everything was don't. all good until they were like, I want to know new stuff. I want to know more. <laughs> and then everything fell. Yeah. That's a Niall. lesson that keeps repeating.
1: It's crazy. It's like I want, I, cycles of humanity.
0: Yeah. Uh, I wanted to ask you also about, you know, particularly with the the solo stuff outside of Nile, which you touched on. The all the, the different instrumentation, the cultural richness, whether it's Tibetan or Arabic or, you know, Persia, ancient Persia, you know, Egypt, all these different um, eras that you've drawn from. How does that come about? Like, how do you discover these different ancient styles of, of folk music and things like that. And obviously you've been doing like the interludes and things like that, but, and also just learning these instruments or discovering these instruments or even knowing where to like go buy one of the instruments. Like walk, walk me through that, uh, that whole process. Well, we're uh,
1: blessed to live in an age where all kinds of everything is easily available. If you just look for it, like a lot of my instruments come from shops here in america uh like there's a shop in seattle great uh world music shop um it's right down by the water um in the tourist section anyway they got world instruments from all over the world and there's a couple places like that new york um, san francisco so that's that's not really so tough you know instruments are accessible what's not necessarily accessible is just because i can play a guitar does not automatically guarantee that i can play every fucking thing that i want to pick up um some amount of guitar technique transfers over to any string type instrument but you know other stuff maybe not so much um so i don't think it's possible to be a virtuoso on everything um I'm interested in, in making music that's entertaining to listen to, and so right alligator, you know, it's it's not a purist mentality. I'm not interested in being an ethnomusicological preservist where I'm preserving right. musical cultures here. No, I, I take stuff from this, whatever I like from here, from over there and I do something with it you know
0: and it's modern in that sense because you're taking ancient traditional stuff and almost like a type of fusion you could say
1: I think so I'm a fan of you know jazz fusion I really enjoy that more than pure jazz although you know there's something great about Miles Davis that you know I don't even understand when I listen to Miles Davis I don't understand the same way like when I put on a Metallica album and I understand every facet of everything they're fucking doing because I play music that's very similar. Mm-hmm. Right? So I understand it. I speak that language. But, you know, do I get everything Miles is doing? Or did No. I don't. But that's fun. Yeah. All now I can turn my musician brain off. Mm where I'm always studying, always wondering what lesson is to be learned and I just enjoy it because it speaks to the soul. Yeah. With soaring apocalypse, that's that's what I'm trying to do is play music that speaks directly to the the soul, to the mind, to the deeper part of your mind, not the one that's concerned with oh I got to get to work. My boss is going to blah blah blah. No, not that one. The the mind that's laying there, almost asleep, that quiet, still one—the one that's free.
0: Do you find that that's a a, a form in and of itself of uh, of spirituality, or almost a? It seems like, in a way, you're, you've almost found a, a, an adulthood that merges—you know, taking the religion and the and the rule following and all of that whatever sort of spirit there was to your mom's tradition. And then with the open, broad-minded fantasy, epic, historical, all that stuff from your dad, it's almost like the music you create is, you found a a medium in there for yourself.
1: One that I can exist in, right? (laughs) A universe that, you know, I can, you know, do what it is I need to do. (laughs) Uh, I'm reminded of... uh, one of the songs on this record, The Evil uh, Inherent in Us All, comes from uh, a night in Cairo where Nader Sadek had taken me, Derek Roddy, Mamu Giseksu, and my wife Michelle, taken us to a performance of North African voodoo exorcism music, Wow! right? And he explained dude it's not like exorcism like you americans understand like the exorcist this is music where they drive away evil spirits with overwhelming uh life affirming positive spirit music so i went okay right you know i've always loved african percussion because it's rhythmically mind-blowing like if you study the rhythms these guys are doing it's Whoa! these guys are like, you know, quantum physicists, geniuses on these primitive instruments. They're doing all these complex things and blah, blah, blah. So I'm already interested in it because of that. But what I noticed during the evening, it was like three hours of music, was the overwhelming positivity that they were creating together and with all the people in the room combined together, you could feel the positive spirit moving. You could feel it on the back of your neck, your hair standing up, chills on your spine. You could fucking feel that shit. It was not just spiritualism in a cerebral... You know, I'm considering the concept sort of way. It was real tangible, like, hey, wait a minute. There really is, there are spirits, and they do move among us. And they affect us, and we affect them. Because you could feel it in the room, the positivity. This music existed to drive away negative spirits, and replace it with pure positive human happiness it was real it's real i don't i don't know if you've ever been to like southern black church like which is a very different experience than um your typical white christian nationalist kind of thing often while the whole congregation is singing, you can feel the spirit moving you. And it's like, wait a minute, this you can feel it. It's real. This is tangible in a way that you know just the idea abstractly is, is something else. This is real. Yeah I feel like that's so,
0: biggest disservices that mainline christian nationalist evangelical tradition in its initial intent you know going back to the pilgrims to do away with the authoritarian nature of of the catholic church and of ritual and and intercessorship and all these ideas they had that can be debated you know endlessly it's been stripped down to this place now where it's absent those experiences that you're describing that Mm -hmm. are still vibrant parts of, you know, whether it's Hare Krishna's running around the room, chanting together for hours on end or, uh, you know, different, uh, I mean, you get into the whole Shia and, and Sunni thing when you, when you get into more of the Shia side, where there's still this like big spiritual ism to Islam, or even something as simple as, to us, you know, that's been as much as Rastafarianism has been commodified and, and turned into a pop culture product, the genuine experiences, you know, if you're at like, you know, watching someone do like dub poetry or, you know, there, there are these few times in my life where I've had the the joy to be in situations like the one you described where for all the time that you might spend pondering, wondering what else is there? And is there anything more to life than what I can see and touch? And you have those couple of moments where you're, there's just no doubt. <laughs> you know, you're like, Oh no, something's going on here. you know. Yeah.
1: But you're not going to find it in, you know, any normal church in America. It's those places exist to take your money <laughs> and, and to, you know, gather your vote, you it's know, which I, I find completely offensive to the idea that a we have freedom of religion in America, but but B, you know, are we entitled to have a, a relationship of our own with you know whatever higher powers there are? Which you know I don't I can't define them. I don't know for a fact exactly what it's all about but I'm not going to pretend that I do just to take your money. Yeah. I think that's wrong. That's wrong. That's, that's
0: And we can And we wrong. can push you in a political direction and not pay taxes at the same time. Yeah. yeah.
1: What a scam. How does that work?
0: Yeah, yeah. And a lot, and a lot of even what we're saying is, is a lot of it's it is a, was at the roots of Protestantism, you know, once upon a time. But yeah. The idea that for me, I think, whether it's you know the the musical ritual that you got to experience and be a part of whether it's the conception the cosmology and everything that that ancient egyptians saw i think it's all of us trying our best to describe the indescribable you know at the end of the day and and that's that, and a good thats way of saying it and if you look at it that way, then it's then it's fun, like you know, taking us all the way back to the beginning of the conversation. it's like it's <laughs> it's fun and i and i've I've often wondered I had this conversation with a friend of mine recently where you know we 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 grew up in in the west and we we learn about ancient cultures and we we scoff at yeah. you know I'm saying we broadly, you know at the i oh, they used to believe that thunder was Thor smacking his hammer, you know, and, and, kind of roll our eyes at how silly that is. I've wondered more recently, uh, you know, is how possible is it that a lot of these civilizations, the things that we assume they believe literally, maybe they didn't, maybe it's just metaphor. Maybe they maybe knew it's... maybe, and maybe they knew it was metaphor. You know what I mean? Like maybe they were, that was, that was storytelling and descriptions and, and trying to make sense of things that they didn't understand. You know, Who's to say that they literally believed a lot, a lot of this stuff anymore? I
1: think that's a beautiful point. Um, who's to say? Uh, I don't think we're anybody to say, because unless we were actually there, anything that we assume is a presumption. And you know what? We really go wrong i think when we make those presumptions uh yeah especially you know like uh, a lot of the things that i'm into with you know egyptology and you study of uh, the mesopotamian cultures a lot of it is four thousand five thousand years ago you know we're going just from what got left behind that's that's a small percentage of how those people actually lived what they actually thought you know, if you judged us in our era of what we leave behind hmm, wow that would that would be that would be fucked
0: it'd be very damning for us <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> if that's all they knew of us it's <laughs> what so yeah. we left behind uh well carl this has been super fun i uh be happy to have you on again and, and dig even deeper into this stuff uh but for now yeah uh, i'd
1: love to ryan yeah you turned out to be such a great guy i really have enjoyed our time together
0: likewise likewise thanks so much man well um on to your next one and uh keep in touch
1: <laughs> thank you ryan